Hello, Chance Miller once again. I just want to congratulate you on 10 years at 9to5Mac. Is that today or this week or something like that, right? Yeah, this month. I don't month. know the exact day, but I think today is when I emailed Seth asking for a job in 2013. So 10 years. I think my first post on the site was April 2013. Yeah, but that was I've when... I've been a bit on and off, obviously, but yeah. You and Zach were April... Crazy stuff. Crazy. And that was pre-Apple Watch? Yeah. Yeah. So, we're, I guess almost a decade, and we're just about coming around to the next big product category, which we will definitely talk about uh, later in the show. And I'll be there to see it. Yes. Nice little, nice little milestone. Did, did you ever think 10 years ago that you would be at the Apple campus invited to the event? No. I didn't think I'd even still be writing at 9to5Mac. So. <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, so you're flying out tomorrow, I guess? Saturday. Saturday. So I get in Saturday morning, do some exploring Saturday and Sunday, and then keynote day on Monday. Very, very nice. I'm definitely looking forward to it. We'll talk about the WWC expectations a little later in the show. But first, some news quickly. We have uh, the sad demise of iCloud Photo Stream. Uh, was announced, uh, I think, just after we recorded last week. Uh, this feature was actually introduced with iCloud at the very beginning, back in 2011. Um, and basically, this was their photo syncing solution before they actually had a photo syncing solution. So it came with a lot of caveats and a lot of weird restrictions. So basically, PhotoStream, um, which has obviously now been fully superseded by like iCloud Photo Library and etc., PhotoStream was a way for basically an, an easier way than plugging in your phone to the computer to get photos off your phone. So what would happen is PhotoStream, i.e. iCloud, for free, it was a free offering, but it would upload the last 30 days or uh, or 1,000 photos, whichever was less, mm-hmm. to your account in the cloud. And then the idea was you could view them on any of your devices, but obviously after 30 days, those photos would get deleted again. And then the big feature, I feel like, which was why they made it, was that on the Mac, you could say save photo stream automatically. So basically, if you had a, like an always on Mac or a Mac you used a lot, if you took photos on your phone, it, they would upload to photo stream and then your Mac would get a copy of them, you know, without you having to do anything explicitly, without even to plug in a cable, because back then you still had to sync through iTunes or whatever. So photo stream was their like first inkling of getting an easier way for you to get photos off your phone and onto your computer. Um, and it wasn't obviously meant as permanent storage. It wasn't like storage in the cloud because after a month, they, they ultimately got deleted. It also had loads of other restrictions. Um, like if you edited the photo at all on the Mac, it wouldn't sync back to the phone because it was literally just making separate copies. You know, if you deleted photos on the Mac, they wouldn't delete from the phone. Like there was none of that synchronization going on. It was literally like a, you know, like a Postman style. Which you've now just got a snapshot mm-hmm. of the photos you took on your other devices. Um, but some people used it, right? Um, and it had it had some appeal. I think, you know, retiring it after a decade is pretty fair. Like, it was kind of outdated. Yeah. And I think nowadays it was almost confusing to, for it to even still be an option because, like, people would n- turn it on without really knowing what it did. And if you went down that road, you'd be, like, confused. Whereas the, you know, you're you're much better off using either iCloud Photos or a similar service from like google or somewhere else because photo stream was like it was almost outdated when it was introduced um mm-hmm. it was just so backwards in the way that it operated uh, but that's all apple had to offer at the time so that's what they did 
Uh, obviously, yep. and a, a lot of the decisions made for iCloud back in 2011 are now outdated, and they've retired a lot of them. Uh, PhotoStream was one of the stragglers. The other straggler is the fact that uh, they still only have five gigabytes free on the base plan, but uh, that has at least not yet changed. But I, I'm yeah, not I, a big, I don't care too much about PhotoStream. No, anyway. yeah. This is something one of those things I didn't even really know was still an option. But I guess the reason some people who used it still relied on it is because they could store those photos and they didn't count towards the five gigabyte right, iCloud yeah. storage. Yeah. I mean, if you're a very optimistic person, you could say that this could be a sign that they're going to raise that five gigabyte limit. But I'm not that optimistic of a person. So this seems more just about Apple removing something that's probably a burden on all of the other iCloud stuff that it offers. It's probably running on like really outdated infrastructure. Exactly. You know, needs yeah. engineers to maintain it. And in the modern day, probably what a fraction of a percent of people actually use it. I believe it's off by default on new iCloud accounts anyway. Yeah. So you get to go in and mm-hmm. actively turn it on. Um, and I know when this news came out, there were some conspiracy theorists like, oh, it's just another way to push you onto paid iCloud subscriptions. Like this feature is not going to make you do that. Like it's not, it's not important enough. It doesn't do anything useful. If you really want something like this, you can download like Dropbox and you can copy across the last 30 days using the Dropbox app or the Google Photos app or, or any other options. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's plenty of things Apple does do to try and force you to buy paid subscriptions to their to their services like iCloud, uh, like the five gigabyte limit, but retiring photo, photo stream probably has much more innocent reasons than just the fact that it was only being used by a very limited number of people and it was probably just a massive pain in their neck so getting rid of it allows them to you know slim streamline the offering and focus on what actually matters and iCloud photos is the modern replacement and it is very reliable very solid and yeah you do have to pay for it but i'm not really sure there's a free alternative like you know google photos was free for a while but even they've now cracked down and make you pay for storage um so that's just the modern world and if you want iCloud photo if you want photo backup to the cloud um, I would recommend iCloud Photos, but you obviously do have to pay for it either directly with iCloud Storage or by you know getting like an Apple One package or something. Uh, but One PhotoStream thing. is going away. This reminded me of that iCloud Match or iTunes Match. Mm-hmm. Sorry, is still a thing, even though my interpretation is that if you have Apple Music, you don't need to pay for iTunes Match. Correct. And but I guess there's still more benefit to iTunes Match for those people than there was for my photo stream and for apple because itunes matches 25 dollars a year i think yeah and basically itunes match lets you upload your own music content to the cloud and then it syncs across all of your devices but this is something still that i wonder if it might go away at some point sooner rather than later because even though apple makes some money from it they just want you to subscribe to apple music which is more expensive and does the same thing and more yeah it probably sticks around because like it's a feature of apple music as well because otherwise if you if you only subscribe to apple music you couldn't bring your own titles that aren't Mm -hmm. in the apple music library along uh so like the the matching service whether it's independent or part of apple music is what provides that and i do think that there are probably you know a few million people or a couple million people which is an order of magnitude more than people that were using iCloud photo screen photo yeah. stream i'm sure that take advantage of that and see it as a big advantage over something like spotify which doesn't have a matching service um yeah so you know maybe itunes match being available or as a standalone subscription goes away uh, but i think the feature is 
still valuable enough that oh, yeah. they'll keep it instead the of feature. music. Yeah. Yeah, the but, feature but, should But you are anywhere. completely correct that if you you don't have to pay for both. Uh, people pay for both in fear that if they cancel iTunes Match, exactly. they like screw up their database <laughs> and not work. <laughs> but I've seen enough people cancel um, iTunes Match and it just, as, as long as you subscribe to Apple Music, transparently moves over and you save $25 a year. So uh, I've, I've never subscribed to iTunes Match. Uh, I've just been an Apple Music only, so I don't have like first-hand experience doing that. But, you know. I, I used iTunes tunes match for a while and i think i finally canceled it either last year or the year before and so far so good so yeah I, and that i would take the risk for the save 25 dollars. <laughs> yeah <laughs> the bigger problem with the matching thing is like sometimes it just matches songs wrongly and then you get like different yeah. versions of it uh but that that that's an issue whether you have itunes match or you know the matching feature instead of music um, another Apple service that is in a bit of the news this week is MLS Season Pass because they are dropping the price, but there's a big asterisk here. So MLS Season Pass launched in February, uh, which is a worldwide subscription service offering access to Major League Soccer games exclusively through Apple TV streaming um, with no blackouts or no regional restrictions, which is a first in terms of sports streaming. And so you know, Apple and the MLS made this big deal. Uh, they launched it in February. It was $99 or $79 if you have Apple TV Plus. You get a slight discount if you have a TV Plus subscription. Um, and then now uh, you can also do it monthly, which is $14.99 a month. Um, but you obviously get a bit of a discount if you buy the, like, the pass. But it's not like a yearly pass. It's a pass for the season. Um, mm-hmm. And so naturally, we're about halfway through the season now because we're in June. Um, and so Apple has dropped the price of the subscription down from $99 to $49 basically to reflect the fact that if you subscribe to the annual the season pass now you're going to only be able to see about half the games anyway because they've already been aired this is pretty common in terms of you know subscription passes that work like this in terms of sports um the monthly subscription price is unchanged and i don't think it necessarily indicates that they're going to change the pricing going forward because very clearly if you look in the tv app at this option now um it says in letters directly below renews at full season price next year i.e for the 2024 season uh, so this is just an adjustment to reflect the fact that you're getting less content now if you subscribe halfway through the year. Yeah, and like you said, this is something that pretty much every other sports streaming service like MLB TV does. As you move through the season, they cut the price again cut just because you're getting there's less games available to watch. So this isn't any indication I think that season pass is not performing in terms of what Apple expected. Yeah, Apple certainly doesn't want you to get that impression, whether it's true or not. Like, there's been some murmurs and rumors from, you know, unverified people on social media and stuff, like, in the sports kind of domain, that Aimless, uh, the deal hasn't gone too great. But, of course, Apple doesn't release numbers, so no one can know for sure. And alongside the price drop, uh, they had a little, like, conference call to press uh, that basically had um, EDQ saying that, oh, no, 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 Aimless season pass is doing fine. We're off to a great start. We're doing better than forecasts in terms of subscription and viewership although they won't share what those numbers are so you have to take from that what you will but it doesn't sound like they're giving up on it by any means um and if you remember when in the run-up to this season there were those reports that they were kind of scrambling to get everything set in place Mm -hmm. before the first match so theoretically that means next year i mean whatever they offer can be a bigger package with more content better features to maybe make that $15 a month, $99 pricing, more appealing. 
Yeah, I think the pricing is slightly too high, if I was being completely honest. Like, I think the content yeah. that you get isn't pretty good, and it's like, oh, you get every game without blackouts. That's, like, cool. But, like, you have to come from the perspective that most people only care about, or mostly only care about their local team. And so the fact that you can watch every game in the entire league is kind of irrelevant when you only watch your team's games, which were previously often available on broadcast TV that you already paid for at no extra charge. So the pricing is a bit out of whack, and maybe... You know, they bring the price down slightly if the mid-season price drop, you know, causes a surge of adoption or they just reflect on first year and realize they can get a better balance there. I also think a lot of people have said, um, you know, why don't you offer like a team pass subscription where you can only watch one team's game for a reduced price? You know, Apple's not stupid. I'm sure they thought about that stuff and they come to some calculus, but there's opportunities there. Um, but as long as they keep iterating on it, uh, I think it's doing okay. You know, they launched uh, the multi-view feature in Apple TV 4K very recently, which which dovetails into this because Season Pass just has so many games, you kind of need a way to watch more than one game at once if you are a dedicated fan. Um, big question mark still remains to be Android. Like, I think if they really want to drive mm-hmm. adoption, they need a dedicated Android app. The web experience alone is, is not really sufficient. Um, you know, the TV app native has problems, as I've talked about in the show many times before, um, and the website's even worse. And so, if you, you know, if you're an Android mm-hmm. customer, it feels even worse paying $99 to only be able to watch through a web browser with a very poor experience so hopefully they introduce more and more features to the tv app in general you know make it even clearer about where to find games you know better layouts and stuff they added a sports tab to the news app in 16.5 um so you know they they haven't given up on it they're just you know very casual iteration and i think having a proper answer to the android situation would would help a lot and then maybe a slight pricing tweak but i don't think they're going to change any any of that formula for the rest of the, the 2023 season like any of that stuff might happen when it comes around to february 2024 mm-hmm. when when it kicks off again but we'll see how it goes the real question is to yeah. we, as to how well sports streaming is doing for apple is where they start making more deals right because they they had mlb now they've got mls and if mls is really doing better than forecasted it makes sense that they go and pick up more rights so we have to you know just stay tuned to see if they announce more deals there yeah it's kind of in that vein something i'm interested in is seeing what exactly they do with their mlb partnership for baseball because the rights and the broadcasting and all of that for baseball right now is just a total mess. Primarily because one of the regional sports owners, Bally Sports, is going bankrupt. So in those instances right now, what's happening is MLB themselves is taking over broadcasting those games to to those fans in that area. But, I mean, Apple already has Friday Night Baseball. They have the money. I would like to see, or maybe it's even possible that if MLB on Apple TV is already going well, they can step in and sort of expand that partnership beyond what it currently is. More than two games a week kind of situation. Exactly. Yeah. Even if it's no longer just like a like a TV Plus perk, you have to pay separately for it or something. Because um, Apple clearly seems to think that people should pay per subscription, per sport. Uh, even though you look at like com- companies like Amazon who just kind of roll whatever rights they can get into you know one subscription, but maybe that's still maybe Amazon's going to change and split out. I don't know there's been some rumors that Amazon might change to also have like a Amazon Prime Sports Pass, like as an add-on sale. So it's it's trending that direction. Uh, at least with MLS, they've shown that they have the technical capability to you know run yeah. a dozen games a week live, and so that's like a proving ground to the fact that they can actually handle the demand. Uh, it's just whether they can get the viewers and the eyeballs, basically. Yeah, baseball would be like a dozen games a, a day, yeah. so I guess that's <laughs> it's a little more overhead, but I'd like to see it. I mean, a, the way Apple broadcasts Friday Night Baseball now is just so much better than any 
other baseball streaming, even MLB TV. So there's something they could do there, but I don't, I don't know if baseball is a big enough revenue generator right now, but they've made some changes. So I'm hopeful. Happy Hour This Week is brought to you by Masterclass. Check them out at masterclass.com slash 9to5Mac. Masterclass has some amazing videos. I mean, where else can you find 30 lessons on filmmaking from someone as prestigious as Martin Scorsese? I was watching that last night, actually, on their Apple TV app, and you can hear Scorsese himself talk about the movie-making process and how he expanded his understanding over time. I love learning about all those details and it really makes me appreciate the art of film even more. And after I've finished the Scorsese class, I can dive into a whole different perspective on the topic from James Cameron, another award-winning director, also available on Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Anytime, anywhere, and at your own pace. From just $10 a month, you can get unlimited access to every instructor, thousands of online lessons, exclusive content and insights, and much more. And I mentioned filmmaking, but there's so many topics to dive into. You have Disney CEO Bob Iger talking about business strategy. You've got Gordon Ramsay on how to cook incredible food. There's so much variety and something for everyone. With over 180 classes to choose from, you can always be learning something new from top class instructors. Gain new skills in as little as 10 minutes with a Masterclass app available on your phone, computer, tablet, smart TVs, and there's even an audio-only mode so you can listen on the go on your phone. Get unlimited access to every class, and right now, as a Happy Hour listener, you can get 15% off when you go to masterclass.com slash 9to5Mac. That's masterclass.com slash 9to5Mac for 15% off an annual membership. One more time, masterclass.com slash 9to5Mac. Thanks to Masterclass for sponsoring the show. One other TV thing that supposedly came to an end this week was the Ted Lasso season. So for a while, you know, the lead Jason Sudeikis has talked about Ted Lasso being a three-season arc. And this is supposedly the last episode of season three. So it's supposedly done with. Uh, Interestingly and curiously, Apple never, like, promoted season three as the final season, even though, like... No one will confirm it was keeping going, and all of the actors seem to be out of the loop on whether it is going to be, whether it's going to continue or not. The finale aired this week. Obviously, it was highly anticipated. It does give a fair amount of closure. Don't worry, there's no spoilers in this episode. Um, but what do you think, Chance? Do you think they're going to? Do you think they're going to do more? I think so. I mean, the finale did close some of the open storylines, but it also kind of opened a few others, and they clearly set it up so where if this is the end it was a good ending but if it continues there's plenty of threads they can pull on for a season four and by not referring or promoting it as the series finale they probably did it a bit of a disservice if that is the series finale just because when people know that it's the final last episode of something for good there tends to be some more interest and it can kind of dominate the overall narrative for longer yeah which if you're is making an ad saw, like it, it's a lot more punchy if it says final season in it when like it's a missed opportunity not to do that if it really is the end yeah and that's exactly like what we saw on sunday where it was the finale on hbo of succession and barry like both of those having both of those series finales just that gave so much more weight to that episode and it dominated what people were talking about into monday and tuesday and even still now through the rest of the week so yeah, the Ted Lasso finale was kind of weird in that they changed the time that the episode came out at. Um, yeah, that was that dumb too. Compared to the rest of the season. And 
you know, dedicated fans had even like organized some like watch parties together and stuff. And then they ended up having to cancel them because it ended up the episode came out like three hours later than normal. I think what happened there is there was originally going to be like a season finale like event in like New York City or something. And they were going to have like cast there and do like a do like a showcase showdown thing. But then the writer's strike kind of put all that on cancelled and so it didn't happen, but they didn't change the time back. So that was a bit of a misstep. But yeah, I agree. I mean, Ted Lasso's their huge property. It's the biggest show on TV Plus by mile. They'd be stupid to let it go without a fight. And so even if Sudeikis doesn't want to come back and, you know, lead the main character anymore, they can carry on with Ted Lasso season four without his character, with him doing like cameo appearances. Uh, they can do a spin-off you know they can do multiple spin-offs right there's mm-hmm. loads of characters there they can they can spread out and some of the early episodes of season three certainly felt like they were doing you know pilot episodes of other shows that they can they can pick yes. up and carry on with um and i think you know the the reaction to season three i'd say has been less universally acclaimed compared to the previous seasons mm-hmm. but i still think there's far and away enough people there that really really love it that it would make it worth it to do to do spin-offs and whatnot so i imagine that stuff is in development again Stuff like the Riot Strike probably puts like making the f- confirmed deals there and announcements a bit pushed back. So maybe by the end of the year we'll find out. Um, I will say in the finale yesterday, there was one storyline that could have gone one way and could have gone another. And I think the way that it went sets it up much better for a season four than if it had taken the other route, which would have provided a whole nother level of closure. So that's a point in favor of something continuing into a new season or even a new spinoff show altogether. And right on cue, on the same day that the finale came out, Apple did a little like scissor reel of upcoming content because they know that Ted Lasso Season 3 is a good point of cancellation for a lot of people. So they're trying to entice people to stick around for as long as possible. So they had a nice little trailer that's also in like the top of the TV app now for like what to watch after Ted Lasso. And it just tells you about what's coming up later in the year, including a lot of new content and stuff. So you can check that uh, check that trailer out if you want to. Okay, let's start digging in to WWDC. So let's start with hardware that is not the headset because we'll have a little headset segment later on. So there's been some interesting developments here because German had a Bloomberg report yesterday about some details on maybe what the new Macs are going to come at the event. So for a long time, we've been expecting the MacBook Air, the 15-inch MacBook Air, um, and then the Mac Pro is like an open question. Um, but what German specifically said is that he has found um, evidence or knows that Apple is testing multiple new Mac models with new processes inside the new chips, um, specifically a m2 max and an m2 ultra uh, but interestingly although previously german has said that the m2 ultra was destined for the mac pro he says that these models in testing are not the mac pro model identifier so german says that the um that these chips were found on macs identified as mac 14.3 and mac 14.4 but internally the mac pro project has been the, that hardware device is referred to as mac 14.8 so this might be something else entirely, possibly a Mac Studio update that we weren't expecting because previously the consensus was kind of like they were going to skip this generation for Mac Studio and come back around for the M3. Uh, but maybe mo- not anymore. What do, you th- what do you make of this, chance? The the thing about the Mac Pro is that they were initially planning that M2, what was it, Extreme? Like Extreme, yeah. And that was going to be the... Ultra, yeah. Yeah. And that was going to be the big differentiator for that compared to the ultra high-end mac studio and so and the m2 extreme according to gerben was scrapped at some point earlier this year 
So that leaves very few ways that Apple can differentiate a Mac Pro, especially when we don't really know a lot of the story around things like uh, expansion options and upgradability and graphics cards and that type of stuff. But even, I mean, even as recently as last year, Apple said the Mac Pro was coming. For another day. So I, yeah, I just don't. And that was that was not at WWC. That was before WWC in the spring event, which... Yeah, that was when they announced the Mac Studio. Yeah. when they and, said the Mac Pro like, was still For another still day, coming. and like, literally, it felt like they were hinting with that saying, you know, WWC that year, because that was right. the next event coming up. And then that didn't happen. And now we're like a whole year later and it remains unclear. But surely it's got to be this year, right? And surely if it's coming out this year, WWC would be a great place to announce it. Like, even if it's not coming out to the end of the year, they don't have to worry about canonization when it comes to the Mac Pro. So it feels like they would announce it next week, but it kind of puts a spanner in the works with the chip thing because, like, if there's going to be a different Mac model identifier with the M2 Ultra, uh, you know, then it's going to that doesn't make sense if the Mac Pro comes out with an M2 Ultra as well. So maybe the Mac Pro actually does run on a different chip and we just haven't heard about it up to now. Like That would certainly make it more justified as a standalone product in the lineup. I'm curious too about what this means for M3. Because when Apple updated the MacBook Pro in January and the Mac Mini with M2 chips, I think with the exception of the 15-inch MacBook Air, we all kind of thought that was the end of the M2 but it seems like we'll still get at least this Mac Studio with an M2 Ultra and M2 Max. And then I guess the M3 story starts later this year with the iPhone, since it'll be based on the iPhone chip and maybe... I don't even know if the 15-inch MacBook Air comes out with an M2. It doesn't make sense to revise the MacBook Air with an M3 this year. So this whole little timeline here is getting messy. And I think it's probably made worse by some of the supply chain things that Apple's still feeling the ramifications of. Yeah, like I we've said think, before, I don't the timeline was intended, but the 15-inch MacBook Air, like we've said before, I think was always planned to come out last year, but Apple just couldn't do it, so it got pushed and it got pushed to now. Yeah, and so does Apple push back the M3 version of the 13-inch just because the 15-inch is late? I don't think that's how they operate. I think. The M3 will come out at the end of the year or early next year, just on whenever it's ready on schedule, right? Um, and it would just be a little awkward that six months before they did a 15-inch version that runs on M2, but that's just how it goes sometimes. It's like, you know, when they did the, the double revision of the iPad in the same year, where it was like iPad 3 yeah. and iPad 4 within like six months of each other. And, you know, they probably yeah. didn't want it to work that way, but it's just sometimes it's just how it happens. And, you know, and- coming out of COVID, coming out of all sorts of supply chain problems... We're still seeing the end ramifications of that, and it probably impacted the Mac Pro as well, right? Like, part of the reason um, uh, German said that they kind of cancelled the Extreme was because they were just saving silicon wafers for their more popular products. They they didn't have the spare capacity, and so all of these all of these things that, if you look at them on the surface, are like, why would Apple do that? That doesn't make any sense. Like, a lot of them just have practical reasons behind that change the timelines on things. And the only thing that's kind of guaranteed is an iPhone release. Everything else can mm-hmm. be pushed around and is a lot more loosey-goosey. Like, the iPhone, Apple moves mountains to make sure it comes out on basically the same schedule every single year and exactly the specifications it needs every, because it's so important to them. Everything else, you know, they can they can, they can can chop and change, they can mix it around, and they'll generally be fine, right? So, yeah, there's going to be a 15-inch MacBook Air. And, like, I, I'm, I don't think it's going to happen, but I wouldn't even be shocked. Like, it wouldn't be, like, out of this world if 
next week they suddenly announced m3 as well you know like and if it just yeah. so happened that an m3 air was ready and so was the 15 inch that was running an m2 platform they just announced the 15 inch first and then they'd announce the m3 after or they do it the other way around and they just live with it that way like you know this map this map pro that's delayed um assuming against it's running on m2 architecture it could very well come out after the first m3s come out but sometimes that's just what has to happen you know like they 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 didn't when they planned this four years ago probably wasn't that in that order but sometimes you know stuff comes in and and gets in the way so uh you know they they try and have it nicely cleanly delineated you know on an annual schedule but doesn't always happen that way um i'm just i I think the big surprise here for me is like you know the model identifier thing 14 14 3 14 4 versus 14.8 uh maybe there is going to be a max studio or long like i could see maybe there was a decision that like you know what we talked about when it was like makes it weird that why would you put an m2 ultra in a mac pro when you could just put that in a mac studio well maybe apple thought that too and maybe the mac pro has been delayed even more so it can run on an m3 architecture maybe and like you know they're going to just going to come up with a mac studio spec bump with new chips and the mac pro will be pushed off to another day again and they could probably make some joke about it if they wanted to um, and then that will resurface maybe next year with you know some M3 extreme kind of arrangement or something. Yeah, I, ultimately, I don't think really any of this matters. I mean, it matters to people like us, but no one who is going to buy a 15-inch MacBook Air is most likely not going to buy it because it has an M2. People don't it's really know the, what that means. Like Exactly. Yeah. And even during the days of Intel, Apple was on a pretty consistent two update a year schedule for most Macs. They'd there was always the early like the early MacBook for that year and the late model MacBook mm-hmm. for that year that just featured some whatever Intel's newest chip for that season was. That changed towards the end as Apple kinda started having Intel be a bottleneck, but during the early days of the Intel transition especially it was six month updates basically. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, like, look at the iPhone, you know? Now they're shipping base iPhone 14 with the A15 chip and iPhone 14 yeah. Pro with the A16 chip. And does anybody in the real world actually care about that? No. Like, it just fades into the background. Like, the the amount of people that dive into the spec differences is, is so infinitesimal. It really doesn't really matter. They can frame it however they want. Just like you look at the Apple Watch running on basically the same chip for yeah. three years in a row, you know? Like, like it doesn't... the. All that matters is like Apple Silicon is fast enough for what they need. And if you're a pro customer, obviously you're going to care a bit more about specs. But the, the existence of a 15-inch MacBook Air or an M3 MacBook Air doesn't change your buying decision for a Mac Pro or a MacBook Pro or anything like that. Like, it's just not how it works. And so if the, if the schedule... Obviously, they don't set out to release things in an awkward order. But if that happens because of supply chain problems, then so be it. Here we are. Um, and so here we are. I would love it if the Mac Pro is more exciting than just a bigger Mac Studio or the same. Because, you know, German last said the Mac, the, the Mac Pro he thought was coming was just going to look exactly identical to the current Mac Pro chassis just with Apple yeah. Silicon inside rather than Intel. And that's so boring, you know? Like, especially if the chip is identical to the Mac Studio performance. It's like, you know, if if they have to delay it again for another cycle to really be like, do something wow and something prestige and impressive as like a trophy high-end Mac, then... I'm I'm fine with that. I mean, I'm that also helps because I'm not going to buy one. I just think it's cool to look at, you know, as an outside observer. So uh, that's how it stands. Based on you know up to now, I was expecting WWC Mac wise to be 5th inch MacBook Air and Mac Pro T's. 
But ever since you know yesterday's report from German, it's now like, well, it's going to be 15 inch MacBook Air, and then maybe no Mac Pro, but we'll get some Mac Studio updates instead. So it's just a little, you know, late in the game twist on proceedings. Happy Hour this week is also brought to you by Roborock's S7 Max Ultra Robot Clean Vacuum. The Roborock S7 Max Ultra is your answer to a clean home. Look, everyone is busy. We all have hectic schedules and so much to do. And that means that many of us neglect our home cleaning duties. Cluttered rooms, stained floors, dirty carpets. We always settle for less, but it doesn't have to be this way. The Roborock S7 Max Ultra is the ultimate cleaning powerhouse. This mighty device helps you say no to mess. It's a completely hands-free cleaning solution and you can control it all through the user-friendly app. You can set up no-go zones so your Roborock avoids delicate areas and navigates your home with incredible precision. And the Roborock intelligently follows the floor's layout, ensuring thorough and efficient cleaning each and every time. You can just set it and forget it. And with deep carpet cleaning, the Roborock S7 Max Ultra tackles dirt, grime, and stubborn stains, leaving your carpets fresh and revitalized. And with extreme suction and advanced mopping system, it delivers spotless floors and pristine surfaces on carpet and hardwood flooring. Don't settle for a compromise. Upgrade to the Roborock S7 Max Ultra and reclaim your clean, hassle-free home. Try the Roborock S7 Max Ultra today and experience a new standard of cleanliness. Thanks to Roborock for sponsoring the show. So we talked about Mac hardware. The big hardware focus for this event, which also has the you know the software and the ecosystem around it, is of course the headset. Eight years in the development, like from everything yeah. we know, the work on this began after they shipped just after they shipped the first Apple Watch in 2015. And originally they're expected to come out around like 2020 and then it got delayed and then it got delayed and you know even as early as this year it was originally planned to come out in january and now it's june but now it's finally the time like there's no chance there's no headset next week right this is it this has to be it i mean at this point if it's not coming then everybody's like that's going to dominate the conversation and there's no and, and there's been no like controlled leak of chill out lads <laughs> you know like, yeah this is it this is the headset time are you excited for it i'm i'm pretty excited for it you know like i don't know if it's gonna have any like it's it's expensive like it's a weird thing right it doesn't follow the usual pattern of big apple platforms right iphone ipad right. apple watch you know even airpods to a lesser extent like these things they were announced as huge deals they're expected to sell in big quantities and mm-hmm. like make an impact immediately on consumers the reality pro headset or whatever ends up being called it like just it's framing everything we know about it it's going to be expensive but it's going to be technologically impressive right so like it's going to come out and i don't sit here with expectations that it's going to be something that millions of people buy in a year's time right like it's going to launch mm-hmm. to low quantities most of the expectation are it might be, you know, 200,000, 300,000, maybe hit a million units if you're pushing it in the first year. But it's going to be like the beginning of Apple's existence and hopefully leadership in an AR and VR world, right? And so, and I, I say world is in like the, the ecosystem platform, not necessarily like a metaverse type experience. But like <laughs> this, this thing is designed with, as far as we can tell, all the bells and whistles to be incredibly technologically superior to anything else on the market 
by a country mile. It will also be more expensive than everything else on the market by a country mile. But that sort of comes with the territory because this thing has like super high resolution screens using um, really small OLED displays from Sony with super high PPI and super extreme brightness. One for each eye and maybe even another display on the outside facing outwards which projects your like eyes in some kind of weird you know, reverse pass-through experience. Um, Spec-wise, it has about a dozen cameras and sensors on the thing. Uh, it's going to run on an M2 chip or, you know, some variant of the M2 architecture. Uh, mm-hmm. The battery pack's external because Apple wants to make the thing you wear on your face as light and as ergonomic as possible. But, of course, that comes with the trade-off of having an ugly wire running down your side. But I feel like the decision to do that is, like, emblematic of this product as a whole, right? Like, you know, Apple wouldn't make an iPhone with an external battery pack because it's, so, it's too inelegant. But this is, like... They're trading off some of the inelegance to just be technologically impressive and market leading, I think is how I'm kind of framing this. Like and I think that's how they probably will frame it as well. And that's why the reality pro name makes a lot of sense because of the pro modifier in it. It's like, here's the Mac Pro of AR headsets, you know, and we all know or it's heavily implied that they'll follow up with cheaper and more mass market versions down the road. But what I'm hoping we see on Monday is something that just kind of like blows you away in terms of you know, you've seen these other headsets, but they don't offer the immersion, the quality, the visual fidelity, the engrossing experience, audio and video. Because Mike Rockwell, who's like running this thing, came from Dolby originally. Like he comes from like audio. So, you know, I think there's going to be a big spatial audio component to this as well. And it will just be like Apple will come out on Monday and hopefully frame it as like this is the cutting edge of technology. This is where we're going. You can immerse yourself in your apps and in these experiences and this is just like the start of a long journey. Uh, and if they frame it too much as like a consumer product out the gate, I feel like it's going to be uh, misconstrued and the expectations will not be met. But if they come out with it as this thing that's like a, a standard bearer for like the next era, even if that's going to take, you know, five, ten years to really be realized, then I think it would do pretty well in terms of, you know, reception. Yeah, you mentioned the overall kind of effect on the market and how right away people aren't people who would buy meta headsets aren't going to scrap those plans and go buy reality pro instead but one thing that i think it will do is companies like meta will see just how far technologically apple is ahead of them and even if it's a few years until some of those high-end screens and sensors come down market to something that's more affordable. Apple already has a head start in this case on Meta and they'll already be perfecting all of the manufacturing and supply chain deals, stuff that Meta won't have in place to be able to rival Apple right away or even in the near future. So that's one way that Apple's headset is going to affect the market pretty quickly. And in terms of the whole idea of controlled leaks that may or may not come from Apple itself. If we've seen any controlled leaks, I do think there was a story in the Wall Street Journal two weeks ago that was sort of like Apple is preparing for supply chain challenges and slow sales and slow uptake. And that might be an example of Apple kind of setting the expectations that you, even if you want to buy this thing, you might not be able to. And also, we're learning how to manufacture it as we go. And that's one of the reasons for the high price and why we don't 
want it to gain mainstream adoption. Because the worst thing, one of the worst things for Apple would be to have demand for this product and for them to not be able to even remotely fulfill that demand. Like, here's, here's, here's the thing with this. Here's the rub, right? This product, let's imagine it doesn't cost three grand for a second. And I know there's mm-hmm. been some conspiracy theories like, oh, they're just, they're just seeding a three grand price so it can be come out of 2000 yeah, maybe that's really a controlled leak. Yeah, which is like what they did for the iPad, right? Where like, mm-hmm. they seeded it's going to be 1000 and it was 500 as like a cool surprise. But I've, I'd, you, like, just think about the, the, tech, the, the spec list of this thing. The, the MetaQuest Pro is half the price at 1500 and it's easily less than half as you know, advanced in terms of all the specs that you've, that you've just heard about. Like, the, the MetaQuest Pro has, like, four cameras, and this is, like, a dozen, you know? Like, it, on that alone, it's, like, triple. So I don't think the price is going to be substantially less than three grand. It'll be in the, you know, two and a half to three area. Um, and that's with Apple making no margin on it, by the way. Uh, so just ignore for a second the price, because that's an easy way to, like, discount its appeal. I think even if this thing was $1,000, okay? So the same price as an iPhone... 2023 where we are right now you could get this headset that is immersive and thin and light and it has external battery pack or whatever um, but you have to wear it over your face and it only has a battery for about two hours and it's not not expensive i still think it would be very popular like that's the thing about it right like the the form factor Mm -hmm. itself limits what you can do with it and limits its appeal like you can only use it two hours two hours at a time you're not going to use it all day long you're not going to take it out and about with you it's going to be a relatively sedentary, you know, something that you do an experience with for an hour or so, and then you leave it, and then you come back maybe in a couple of days later and you do something else. I think that's optimistic. Like, this idea that you can, you know, run all these iPad apps and there's going to be an ecosystem out the gate of software to run on the thing, it's like, well, yeah, that's true, but practically the form factor is not going to keep it up and not going to hold it up. Like, you can't do a whole day's work inside a headset that only lasts Mm -hmm. two hours. And you're not going to have compatibility with all the software and you're not going to have the ecosystem around it. And, like, if you're just going to sit at a desk wearing a headset um, that mimics a laptop experience with some screens in front of you, you might as well just have a laptop with some screens in front of you, like most people already have today, right? Like, that's how most people operate today. The big convenience of being able to, like, you know, um, present virtual displays and have windows floating around in front of you is the idea that you could do that anywhere in the world or anywhere at any time and you could just like slip on this lightweight pair of goggles or glasses and you know get some stuff done or enjoy a film or whatever uh something like this is like it's big it's bulky even even being thinner and elegant and i'm sure it's gonna look pretty it's still not gonna have that like you're still gonna struggle to convince people to buy it and actually use it for anything practical i think like and on on the gaming side yeah, there's going to be some games for it. But you still have to remember, it's running off internal system on a chip. So at max, it's an M2 chip. And you look at games that run on the Mac on an M2 chip today, you know, they don't look very good because the GPU is not very good because it's not an M2 Pro or an M2 Max, right? It's just a base M2 chip. And so you can get some decent graphics, but you're not going to get like a a life-changing graphical experience. It's not going to match like what you see on games consoles. So if you want to play a really high fidelity AAA game, you'll probably still want to work, you still probably still want to play it sitting in front of a TV in your living room, right? That you can also play for more than two hours at a time. Uh, <laughs> so like this whole space has a lot of obstacles that are pushing against the state of the art, and I think Apple's going to push closest to the state of the art than anyone else has tried before, and it'll still not be enough in its first initial outings. It's going to take 
five years, ten years for this thing to really be like, you know, battery life that can actually suffice for a, a daily experience and a form factor that people actually want to buy and a price point that people want to buy at. Like, so I don't have any illusions that this thing is going to be like immediately compelling, even if you can ignore the price point. It's just a, it's a weird thing for Apple to do because they've never really done this before, but I don't think it's necessarily negative. Like companies that just do the same thing they've always done end up being obsoleted and replaced. And so you have to stay somewhat dynamic. And I think there are good reasons why they're doing this right now. Um, and because you can't just wait another 10 years because Meta will slowly start encroaching on your on your territory and you, having an ecosystem all ready to go for when the nexus of time is right that everything comes together is a really big benefit. So I, I, And they have eight years of R&D and so far nothing to show for it. So there's also just the business angle of they got to ship something, right? Uh, and this, this, this platform has been built against the M2 architecture. If they delay it much longer... They then have to like take it back to the drawing board for the future generations that are working on M3, M4, and, and, and etc. So, I can see why they're doing it, um, but people just have to kind of like readjust and realign what they expect from an Apple product launch because this thing is so different and so unique in that way. But I do think it's gonna be really cool. Like, I don't want to sound super negative about it, mm-hmm. but it's not a. I just you just can't view it as like you know when the Apple Watch came out, there were loads of stories about it being like the iPhone killer, and of course it never was an iPhone killer. But it was a, a very successful mass consumer product uh, that sells in the tens of millions and every, people use every single day. and Or like the iPhone or the, or the iPad that people use every single, every single day for enjoyment, entertainment, and getting work done. With the Apple headset, it's just not going to happen. It's like, a tech, it's like a really fancy tech demo that you might be able to buy, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the software story is going to be really interesting too. Some of the features that have been like rumored as things Apple is working on, when I read those features, like say in a report by Bloomberg, I'm like impressed. I'm excited for those features, and I thought it was something Apple hadn't done before. But it turns out Meta has offered that feature for several years, something like using the headset as an external display for your Mac. Mm-hmm. But this could be just one of those classic instances where, sure, the competition has had a certain feature, but Apple is able to come in not even acknowledge the existence of that feature anywhere else and do it better than a company like Meta because of their ecosystem and because of just how good they are at tying things together. And and raw so this, hardware specs, like screen resolution. Right, that too. Like, you know, if you if you want to use um, virtual displays as a, as, a, as a compelling use case, screen resolution really matters. So you can have sharp text and, and UI and stuff, right? Whereas all the headsets that come to date have like resolutions of about half or a right. third of what the apple headset will offer and so that's a that's a thing all its own and in terms of like hand tracking eye tracking and stability we're expecting the apple headset to be you know leaps and bounds ahead of everything else so it's not just like a you know apple's a big company that can stamp in with some marketing like there is a reason for it uh, but yeah i agree with you uh-huh. like it's a it's a weird kind of evolution of stuff that exists but Mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that's what they have to do. And I'm really excited to see the hardware because I do think it is going to be like something that you can go wow at. Like something like all these current headsets are really quite big and bulky and thick. And yeah, the, the Apple headset's going to have an external battery pack. But still, if you can have something that's like the information report recently called it as thin as an iPhone or about as thin as an iPhone, like that's a pretty cool design for something you wear on your face. Yes, it's not as sleek yeah. as what ultimately an AR glasses product we would like to have and would like to be, uh, but that's just not practical. And the other thing, the information the information report this week that I think was meant to be interpreted 
um, negatively in terms of like Apple struggling to do X, Y, and Z. But I read it and I was kind of like buoyed up by the fact that like they are trying to do stuff they've literally never done before. Like the information report says that this is a first um, for Apple in the sense that it has a curved or like bent motherboard inside it so that it can fit inside the curved mm-hmm. glass enclosure. And that's they've never done that before in a product and they're doing it now for this headset. Um, and yes, it's caused production challenges because they've never done it before. So they never have any expertise in that, demar- in that market. Uh, but it does mean that, assuming they've pulled it off, it's going to be something that's quite impressive. There was a funny thing in the information report that said some of the engineers are worried about um, structural rigidity, and when you're and when you're in a VR world, accidentally bumping into something might shatter the curved glass because curved glass is weaker than you know <laughs> straight planes of glass. Yeah. Uh, so that that'd be a funny gate if that actually comes to pass. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see it. Uh, I guess that's a good way to phrase it. Excited to see it, not excited to like think that it's going to change the world from the beginning. You know? Yeah, I'm excited. I think at first I wasn't, and I was kind of didn't understand why Apple was dedicating so many resources and so many years to something like this. But to a certain degree, too, I think that's a product of, like you said, Apple has worked on this for eight years, and we haven't seen anything. And that kind of leads people to be skeptical and think, well, if their technology was so good, why didn't they release something three or four years ago? When, in fact, this is just Apple working to perfect it as much as they can before showing it off. And even in this case, it's not going to be perfect when it's showing off. And this kind of project, they couldn't do 10 years ago because they didn't have the resources. They were like a much smaller company, far less successful. Now they have so much money and so much cash and so so many resources, so much talent. They can afford to do these like long-term projects that even it's going to take eight years for it to come out and it'll probably be another five years before it's actually making them any money back, you know, in terms of return on investment. Um, and on, so on the external battery pack, I'm curious what you think. is So theoretically, each battery pack will offer two hours of battery life, which is what Bloomberg has said. Do you think there'll be a way to buy, buy extra batteries then swap them into the headset while also the headset like retaining some sort of enough power to not turn off yeah so it doesn't like reset to zero like a hot swap yeah yeah exactly Uh, i mean it'd be nice but again i feel like that's something that if this was meant to be a mass consumer product that would have a solution for it but because it's not they can kind of get away with it not doing that and they could just present it as something you play with for two hours at a time and then you leave it like but what about content? Like if watching movies is going to be one of the big selling points of this product and a movie is two hours and ten minutes long, well, you're well, just not going to see like, the I last... honestly think it's going to be a, a, a well-tough environment. Like it's inelegant to have to, like when you get two hours into a movie to then have to like get another battery out of your pocket and replug it back in. I think, I think what might true. happen is there might be a way for you to use the headset powered all the time. So like yeah, you plug into the wall point. and you've got constant power to the headset. So you don't but if you want to use it wireless, you have to use a battery pack. But I don't think yeah, I'm sure you'd be able to buy extra battery packs, but I don't think it's gonna be like a selling point. You know like how the Apple Watch selling point is like you can buy multiple watch bands and switch them out based on your style and taste. I don't think Apple's gonna be like intending on people to have multiple battery packs. At least for this version. Like I think this version mm-hmm. is literally just like you've got two hours a day to immerse yourself in a AR, VR world, what can we do to blow you away for two hours and then you're done? And so when you talk about 3D movies or whatever, 
maybe they only do movies that are shorter. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I, I honestly think that might happen. Like, I don't think... So you won't or, or be able just, to watch... it's just like a... They, you can watch a longer movie in 3D, but there isn't really a solution for the fact that it turns off halfway through. You just have to deal with it, you know? Like, So how many batteries would you need to watch this Martin Scorsese movie yeah. that's coming to Apple TV Plus this <laughs> <Yeah>. year? <laughs> What is it, like three and a half hours? Yeah, it's a three and a half hour film. So you need two battery packs. Um, yeah, I, 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 Maybe they're like... Because you know like with an iPhone, right? You, you run out of power. You turn it back on and it turns on pretty fast. So maybe that's mm-hmm. the solution. You replace the battery. The whole thing turns off. But when you put in a new battery, it just turns on really fast. And you can get back to what you were doing. Like you're watching yeah. a Scorsese movie... Halfway through, time to change the battery. The whole headset powers down, but you put in a new battery pack and it powers up within about 30 seconds and it just resumes you back where you were in the middle of the movie. Like That might be the, the current solution. Obviously, it's not ideal and it's one of the many reasons why this thing is impractical from a consumer's perspective, but that's just where we are. I think the point you made about just using it while it's connected to power is a good one. Because if you're watching a movie, you're going to be sitting, sitting still. Down, you're not yeah. up. Yeah. Or if you're using it as an external display for your Mac, you're sitting down. So, And the two-hour the thing, use case obviously is... there's the devil's in the details, right? Because two hours of battery life, is that two hours playing a game? Is that two hours doing something intensely 3D? Or is that two hours just sitting back and doing nothing? Because like, watching a 3D movie is less intensive than something that has to be constantly rendering 3D environment in front of you, you know? Yeah. So that's what we'll find out on Monday. I'm optimistic. I, I'm excited. And so the headset's obviously going to be a huge focus. But of course, Apple also has to service its existing platforms. That's iOS, watchOS, tvOS, HomePod stuff, macOS, iPadOS. I think there's going to be, you know, half an hour, an hour chunk of time dedicated to that stuff. It's not going to be the main focus because I do think the headset's going to dominate. But obviously, Apple still has to release new features for all its all its phones, all of its iPads and everything that it, you know, because mm-hmm. that's going to be the... You know, the, the head, even if you want to be the most optimistic, the headset's the future of the company in five years' time. They can't ignore everything else for the next five years. And so, obviously, there's going to be new features for all of their software platforms. We don't have a great insight right now into what's going to be there. Like, iOS 17, there's been some rumors of, like, a journaling app, um, maybe some more dynamic island support, uh, maybe control center redesign, although that's unsubstantiated in many ways. Uh, German's mentioned about a wallet app redesign, then upgrades to like SharePlay and AirPlay, and a uh, upgrade to the lock screen where if you're using it in always on display mode, it'll like more like a smart display, like a smart speaker kind of situation. Um, but there's been nothing like here's the 10 features that we're getting for sure in iOS 17, right? So it, it remains a bit of an enigma. Um, I do mm-hmm. think that more Dynamic Island features is probably a lock because we know for the iPhone 15 there's going to be a dynamic island every single model and so it's yeah. a great opportunity for them to really double down on what they did last year implement it more throughout the system and then show it you know make it a big selling point of the iphone's um lineup at the end of the year especially when you consider that uh, like last year generally seems to be the case that not everybody inside apple knew about the dynamic island until very late in the game so a lot of the teams working on various apps and system components didn't know that they needed to support the dynamic island so it was just a thing that was scheduled for the future and so now it's the future and it's the time to double down on it and i really like the dynamic island i think it's a great little addition to the phone uh, mm-hmm. it'd just be great if it could do more and i kind of still wish for a setting where you could switch the 
the long press button and you know like the the action between long press and tap because i always have music playing up there or a podcast and it's like i always want to quickly like pause it but you always have to long press to do it and so it'd be nice if there was an option to switch that around so you could quickly get access to the little like diamond island expanded view um, which is the kind of thing you can imagine they might add in a whole years of learning later on, you know, compared to yeah. iOS 16. Anything Something you're particularly looking for in, in iOS 17? Not. I think the idea of the journaling app is going to be kind of one of the standout things just because of also how we've heard that it's tied into Find My and how it's going to use some location-aware features to kind of help you keep a, a journal. Because I'm imagining you like there could be days where you forget to go in and add anything. But when you do, you go in and it shows you like, oh, you were with Zach on this day. Here's like where you guys went, how long you were together. And that can help prompt your memory to write write something down or answer maybe some pre-filled questions from Apple. But other than that, I think everything we've heard about iOS 17 seems pretty small i mean early on in the rumor cycle there's the reports that apple wasn't focusing on ios 17 and that they had done exactly what you just said they shouldn't do which is pull resources all towards the headset and then for like something else we've seen apple do is use the advantage of apple silicon to bring features cross-platform and i think that's going to be a big thing this year where we haven't heard many rumors about things like Mac OS and iPad OS, but one of the themes of the past few releases is that a feature that comes to iPhone can also just come to iPad and Mac because they share that same foundation now. Yeah, like the journaling app probably going to be on exactly. Mac and iPad yeah. as well. And the health app is coming to the iPad this year, mm-hmm. reportedly, so that's another example. And all the new features coming to the health app, like the mood tracking and emotion tracking, and Those even like vision then. health. <laughs> yeah, vision conditions, whatever that means. Yeah. I mean, probably headset related, right? Because you're going to be able to get pres- yeah, oh, prescription that's true. lenses for the yeah. headset. So you can like probably manage your prescription inside the health app, I'd expect. And then, yeah, like iPadOS probably gets what the iPhone got last year in terms of the lock screen update, right? So customizable mm-hmm. lock screen, different lock screens. Um, you know, unfortunately, the iPad's always just a bit behind. <laughs> so. You know, yeah. it got widgets a year behind the iPhone, and now it's probably going to get the lock screen a year behind the iPhone. Um, Do you think they'll give you more customization on the iPad lock screen than you get on the iPhone? Mm, more widgets or more space? or Only if they're going to upgrade the iPhone as well. Like You think so? Hmm. I reckon with the iPad, you'll get maybe two rows. Yeah, and maybe like a larger size for... Yeah, like a larger size widget option, but you're not going to get like... You can place them anywhere on the screen. It will oh, still yeah, be like yeah. how the iPhone works, where you have like these dedicated little places. And maybe for iOS 17, they give you like a second row. That'd be nice. Uh, but like on the iPad... Because they did it with... Um, like, what is widget? What is the widget implementation like on the iPad compared to the iPhone? It's the same, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's identical. Yeah, you can get a slightly bigger widget size. But otherwise, it's f- functionally, it's the same. And I really don't think they want to be in a situation where the iPad does, like, stuff differently to the phone. So, like, it'll both work the same, just one bigger. That's that's generally my approach. Like, very rarely do they do something where it's like the iPad's getting this completely distinct, separate thing that works differently. Because they always come to regret it and end up reverting it and making it work like how the iPhone works. 
Control Center has been rumored for updates this year, right? And I guess that could apply to both the iPhone and the iPad. Um, mm-hmm. I think it'd be nice. It's certainly due, right? Like, Control Center has been the same for a long time, and all the customization you can do on the home screen and the lock screen, you can't do on the Control Center. So maybe that's what they can do, and you can just have customizable widgets in Control Center now. That'd be cool. Um, but it's not going to, like, rock the boat too much, you know? Like, it's a really small Maybe... Thing interactive widgets of some sort on the home screen that's something people have been asking for since ios 14 even if it's very basic just play pause for the music widget Mm -hmm. or the podcast widget yeah that'd be nice and it also potentially um serves double duty because of watchos right so watchos this year um is imagined is expected to get probably the biggest update across all the operating systems in terms of a big ui redesign in terms of how the operating system is navigated structurally including the addition of this like scrollable widget stack and maybe they can like say, well, now we've got interactive widgets on the iPhone and you can also take advantage of this on the Apple Watch too. So you don't have to dive in and out of apps as much. You can just glance at these widgets and, you know, play and pause or do some minor action and then only launch the full app if you really, really need to. Which always, which is always a funny thing they said with the Apple Watch. Like even when the first Apple Watch came out, the design team, like Alan Dye and stuff would make these comments. Like we worked out that, an interaction on the Apple Watch needs to be really short. 15 seconds, 2 seconds or less, even. And I was like, yeah, that sounds about right, because, you know, your arm gets tired when you hold it up and you've got to use your other hand and it's a small screen. But, like, the actual Apple Watch, you can't do anything in 2 seconds or less. Like, it just doesn't. it's just not designed that way. There's, like, multiple layers of hierarchy. And the only yeah. thing you can really do in 2 seconds or less is, like, talk to Siri, and that's a mixed bag. So maybe a, a real a reorganization of the how the Apple Watch works... Um, to focus on like this widget experience, which they did try with the first Apple Watch with glances, but I think mm-hmm. back then they didn't know as much in terms of design for a, a watch form factor, and the hardware was just really holding them back. So it was like quite a slow glance experience. Whereas now the Apple Watch is pretty fast, so I think they can pull it off a lot better. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, if the widgets on the Apple Watch aren't interactive at all, I mean that's gonna kind of ruin the point in a lot of ways if you, all they are static ways to look at image look at information yeah if i can't tap on a widget from i mean some of it's already available through the now playing screen which would still be there obviously but something like HomeKit, for example if i want quick access to a HomeKit widget to control a light or something and i tap on that and it takes me all the way to the home app then that's not going to be ideal yep yeah, 100%. And that's something that really annoys me on the iPhone. Like, in Control Center, you have those quick shortcuts to home stuff, mm-hmm. but it's not user-controllable. It's just, like, suggested. So there's, like, a grid of two rows of stuff, and it's like, is that really what I want there? Well, if I want it or not, that's what I've got. Um, and so it'd be great if you could just, like, if interactive widgets existed, app could just make home app widgets that just represented each tile of accessory type you have, and you could just do it yourself. And so it'd I've be nice. I literally just to remembered that they don't even have home app widgets. Yeah, because they the can't iPhone do anything still. at the moment. Yeah. yeah. And even if even ignoring the interactivity, they can only update on very limited frequency at the moment. So you can have yeah. like it you could have a tile for a light, but it's showing the it wouldn't update to the actual state of the light in the room. So, you know, there's a lot of like infrastructure stuff there they can iterate on to make it a lot better. TVOS, HomePod stuff. I mean, I think TVS needs loads of updates, but it's going to get about nothing because it just doesn't get priority. You know, and we've already had a big feature this year in terms of the multi-view support that they launched, you know, like two weeks ago. And so 
I'm sure there'll be some stuff for TVOS, but it certainly won't get keynote time, and it won't be like, mm, you know, revolutionary. I don't think we're going to see a big UI design for the Apple TV, even though I do think now it's kind of dated when you look at it compared to other set-top boxes, which do a better job of just having your content on the home screen itself. So, like, the Apple TV has the dichotomy of the home screen of app icons and then the Apple TV app, which has, you know, a unified app next queue and stuff. But you look at something like the Google TV platform, they just have, like, all the app next queue and, and stuff on the actual home screen. So just, yeah. like, TV shows and movies are the base core of the system, not app icons. And so that's the direction I wish Apple would move in. And they certainly have the data to support it with all the deals they've made for the TV app, you know, except for Netflix, but whatever. Yeah, that's... Um, but I just don't think it gets the resources for that to happen, unfortunately. It'd be a great surprise if it did, but just not... Do you think they should break TV Plus out into its own app? I think they should make the TV app... Um, redesign the TV app so it's... it. it it, it doesn't feel like you're getting punished for going to the TV Plus section. Does that make sense? So, like, rather than TV Plus yeah. just being a tab instead of the TV app, like, the TV app should just show you content from services you actually subscribe to so you don't have to worry about waiting past stuff you don't care about. Yeah, that makes sense. So, like, the tabs would be TV shows and movies and it would just show you stuff from services you actually subscribe to. So if you only subscribe to TV Plus... It would be like it's the Apple TV Plus app. But if you subscribe to some other stuff, you could like option include that and it would it would blend it together. As it stands right now, the TV app basically advertises you load of junk and you have to scroll past it to find what you actually want. Yeah. Um, so I think they could redesign the TV app in a big way um, and basically assume that most people are going to subscribe to TV Plus and nothing else because I think that's just practically true and optimize for that experience and then integrate other services um as I described, right? So, like, if it's there, it, it, it gels in. So, I guess I guess it's, like, somewhere between a separate app and, you know, keeping it all together. It's just, like, re, re, re-architecting the way the TV app works uh, from the ground up, really. And I think that's the best way to go about it because I don't think they should just do, like, a TV Plus only app because having everything in one app does have its advantages and it feels pretty convenient. Like, the TV app as it stands today, if you subscribe to every content subscription service on the planet and you had access to the entire itunes store catalog the tv app would feel great you know it's be like wow i can just explore for hours and look at tv shows and movies and top charts and click on whatever i want and watch it but that doesn't gel with obviously the practical reality that that doesn't that's not how the world works so they should just make it so the service shows you what you subscribe to um and that obviously has a big emphasis on tv plus stuff sure and that's where they make the money but in terms of making the app fun and a nice experience that's where it needs to come from. The HomePod store but I don't is think even more... see any changes, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> the HomePod yeah, story is even yeah. HomePod store is even more mysterious to me because you'd think that they just released the second generation full size HomePod, and with that, they what they do? They did the sound recognition stuff, mm-hmm. and basically nothing else for software, if I'm remembering correctly. So there's things they could do for the HomePod to make it more useful, more like aware of things like your location. But it's my my interpretation is that the HomePod, the second generation big HomePod is there sort of just to fill that void for people for people who want it and I don't think we'll see anything revolutionary in this year's software update to take advantage of it. 
do you remember that rumor that German had last year about Apple working on a um, update to Siri so that you wouldn't have to say hey? Oh right, that yeah. might be the big feature. This kind of sounds like my worst nightmare. Well, I I, <laughs> I I have I am equally apprehensive, but that might be what they they're gunning for. Um, because in terms of a big like Siri update kind of situation. They're probably working on something involving this like generative AI and large language yeah. model kind of thing, but I just don't think it's really ready for right now. Like Apple's never first the game, and you look at what's out there. Can't like you know Google. There's a there's a reason why all this stuff's like in beta or in like trial mode, right? And like it's not really ready a hundred percent to be a customer feature. No. Um, like as a, in terms of like a voice assistant, right? Like Google Assistant doesn't isn't based off a large language model at the moment that's just not how it mm-hmm. works they have google bard which is like an experimental trial thing that you can search with on the web or whatever which is good and useful in some ways but it's just not ready for prime time yet and so uh apple's probably working on stuff in the background and they'll be ready for it you know next year or the year after or something or they've been working on a siri update that doesn't have anything to do with ai for years and it's finally ready to come out the door like, yeah that's the other way that that's the other thing i could see happen remember that story about how the reality pro team wanted to use something other mm-hmm. than Siri yep. because they didn't think Siri was good enough for controlling the headset. That doesn't that doesn't bode well for there being any major yeah. <laughs> imminent improvements to Siri. Although that might have been seven years ago. <laughs> so yeah, that's true too. The time mm-hmm. in that interim time, but uh, they'll, I'm sure they'll have like some feature that they'll like brand as either like AI or something. You know what I mean? Just to like yeah. play in the ball pit. But we, you know, we know they'll that. either do that or they won't mention AI once. Which I don't all. think is a big. Um, it's not like an indictment on the company. Like there's been a there's been a little bit of a narrative pundit narrative. Like you know, the future of the world is AI and Apple's out here doing VR stuff. It's like. I think the truth is somewhere in between. Like, you'll probably end up... Like, all these companies, like Google or whatever, that are currently, like, you know, gunning on AI, um, that's great or whatever, but they're probably going to end up doing AR, VR experiences too, you know? So, like, yeah. these companies will come back and converge in the middle somewhere eventually. Um, After Google I.O., I think... I think it was The Verge or CNET, like, counted how many times they said AI during the I.O. Mm-hmm. keynote, and it was, like, 150 or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, we should count how many times Apple says something about like ar vr reality or something to do with that and see how it compares it's like when they had the iphone event with 5g yeah, yeah exactly 5g mentions anything else anything else you really want to see at wwc that you think's somewhat practical that i think's practical no oh go crazy give us your worst I, I mean i guess this is practical but i just want to see apple music get some the app itself mm-hmm. get some sort of focus because we've seen the like content side of apple music just get better and better with the spatial audio dolby atmos stuff the real-time like beat by beat lyrics and this new stuff around tours and set lists like all of that is great but they're basically just cramming more stuff inside an app that already had so much going on that some of the new features just aren't discoverable yeah and when you factor in that they have music, but also music videos, the interviews that like out the Zane Lowe does with artists, and those are fantastic interviews, but you just they're not easy to find. So some sort of reorganization of Apple Music, the app itself would it's pretty close towards the top of my wish list. If they did that, I think it overshadowed just about anything else in iOS seventeen. 
Yeah, and I wish for Apple Music that they just make it like slightly faster. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that too. Everything yeah. you click on is just hair too slow. Like, there's too many spinners and loading screens, and like, kind of feels like you're loading a very slow website. Whereas, you use Spotify, and I, I don't use Spotify day to day, but like, you use it, and it's it feels so fast, so snappy. Yeah, and it's like click, 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 click. And the Apple Music just feels... You can just kind of feel the server in the way of your request, if that makes sense. Yeah. Which you don't mm-hmm. really have on Spotify. So if they can do something architecturally just to make it feel more like that. Um, and then maybe, like, slightly more dynamic. The thing that really annoys me about music and TV is that the organization is one-way scrolling. Right? So you can only scroll up or down. There's no, like, oh, yeah. secondary way of navigation. So, for instance, if you're on the Browse tab in Apple Music... If you want to see the charts, like the top charts, how'd you get to it? Is there a toolbar button for going to, you know, jump to the chart? No. You have to scroll, scroll all, all the, way down. the way to the bottom of the screen. Then you click the charts button and there's the charts, right? It's like yeah. crazy. It's like with TV. It's like you want to see, you know, your recently, your recently watched list. Do you know in the TV app, you can see stuff that you recently watched, i.e. like a history of everything you watched recently. Did you know that exists? No. Well, do you I'm know how you get? Do you know why you don't bottom? know it exists? Because it's only on the Watch Now tab, and you have to scroll all the way to the bottom, all the way. Keep scrolling, keep scrolling, and then there's recently watched, which shows you every episode of every show you've ever watched inside the TV app, and you can scroll it there. But like, you would never know that exists. It just it's it's like Apple Music. Um, what's it called? Apple Music TV. Like they're like twenty four seven music channel. Yeah, you never mm-hmm. like, you know, you can't find it in the TV app. Like, I mean, it is there, but like, no one's ever going to find it. You know, like, it needs like toolbar navigation or like ways to bookmark stuff and like set your own favorites or like pin stuff places and like that applies to music. It applies to TV. It applies to podcasts yep. as well to some extent. Like, all that stuff just the- is slightly more customization, kind of like detailed navigational flow. You know. The I like the idea of pinning things in Apple Music too, because if you go to the the library tab, the amount of emphasis that it puts on just recently added, it's kind of like overwhelming to a degree. Because you as you add things to your library, you just you lose previous things. Like you use lose the ability to view other recent things that you've added, mm-hmm. and that at least in my case leads to me, you know, adding an album to my library, but then I add four or five other singles or playlists from other artists and that gets as things get pushed farther down i just forget about it so some sort of pinning or better navigation for the library in general i think just would help me not lose content yeah one more example of that and then we'll, i think we'll wrap it up the radio tab right they have so many radio shows from like pretty big names some of them are pretty yeah. good but let's say you like one in particular you can't like favor it or like get a notification when it goes live or like make it so it appears at the top of the radio tab you have to always scroll down scroll 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 you know if you're lucky it's on recently you know new episodes but if it's not scroll 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 mm-hmm. scroll scroll keep scrolling keep scrolling playlist shows click on that scroll 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 find find the name of the show click on it and then you can finally click an episode like everything just needs to be slightly less static and like there's only one way everything's laid out and you just need a bit more personalization and like customization to you um, yeah, and I think mm-hmm. on the I Apple mean, TV app they could come through the library tab because right now the library tab only has stuff that you've p- 
purchased or rented when really it should also integrate yeah. everything you, that you're streaming right and you could have favorites mm-hmm. you could have your own library you could manage it at least apple music has a library that you can arrange however you want um yeah but it doesn't apply to like radio for instance and okay one more thing on especially compared to spotify spotify has spotify connect which is just an incredible feature for controlling playback across different devices so if i'm listening to something in spotify on my phone i sit down in my mac i can instantly just use the keyboard controls on my mac to control what's playing with the spotify app on the mac there's no sort of handoff or transfer required it's the spotify apps on all of your devices are just constantly communicating i mean this seems like low-hanging fruit for apple considering how well they usually take advantage of people who have multiple Apple devices, but in this case, Spotify is doing it better. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Okay, before we go back to the headset, but one last thing: the name, right? Oh yeah. So the 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 kind of like de facto name at the moment is Apple Rally Pro. I'm, I can't think of a better name. So if you, I guess if you're, you know push comes to shove i'd say apple rally pro is the name but mm-hmm. it just doesn't seem right and the re one of the big reasons why it doesn't seem right is that it seems like the operating system was renamed you know in those eight years of development it was originally called reality os and now it's just called xros for like you know mixed reality extended reality operating system are you going to have the xros and then the apple rally pro headset when you know you have tvos it runs on apple tv you have iOS, it runs on iPhone. You have iPadOS, it runs on the iPad. You have macOS, it runs on the Mac. And now you've got yeah. te- 10R, you got, not 10R, but, you know, XROS <laughs> running on Apple something. So it kind of implies to me that maybe XR is going to be in the actual product name somewhere. And I Apple think I can justify XR it Pro. because maybe Apple doesn't want to be so doubled down into the idea of they're, like, replacing your reality. Like... Maybe reality, maybe the yeah. reason they rename it from reality OS to XRS is they don't want to stress the whole like alternative reality. And maybe reality is too close to like metaverse style implications. Um, so maybe they just call it like the Apple headset XR or something. Um, uh, yeah. What do you think? But X, XR, I mean, what in the industry right now, it stands people and use it as meaning what? Mixed reality? Mixed reality, yeah. And Apple's idea is that it's going to be extended reality, which that makes sense. If they're able to convince everyone that XR means extended reality, that aligns perfectly with at least what's been reported as being Apple's goal, which is to not completely cut you off from society. There's also two, I mean, they could brand this as Apple Reality Pro, and then whenever the more AR-focused product is available, they name it something else, like whatever the glasses Mm -hmm. end up being. So, I mean, it, either way, though, it doesn't make sense for XROS to be the software and Reality Pro to be the name. That's a weird dichotomy. Yeah. So, But like you said, I have no idea of something better. Yeah. Because XR... The idea, of putting X, the idea of putting XR in the headset's name doesn't... They already did the iPhone 10R. I mean... Yeah, but that makes me think maybe be- they're okay with doing it. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Because I was like, they're never going to put XR in a product line. And I was like, well, they did the iPad 10R. <laughs> yeah, they're, 
I don't know. Apple's not great at names. No, and, no. But I don't I, even I really, really know like where the renaming of the, and this is like evidence in so much software code leaks, like the renaming from ReactOS to XRS. It really feels like that's significant, you know. And just this week, I think Steve Tartan Smith, what did he do? He like tricked the App Store mm-hmm. Connect into thinking he was submitting like a headset app or yeah, something and it came he, back he, with he an error like a, he changed the metadata of like what was uploaded yeah so it would spit back an error message saying you know we're not accepting xros submissions right now or whatever yeah so it does seem like xros is the name of the operating system and if that's the case puts doubt on apple reality pro being the name of the actual headset but i guess we will find out very soon because i'll be watching from home on monday you can stay tuned tonight from from all the coverage uh, Chance will be in person in the theatre, or not necessarily in the theatre itself, but at least in the vicinity of the theatre. Um, on the grass of Apple grass. Park, perhaps? Hopefully, we'll maybe see. seeing a Apple headset, for real, in that's the a, atrium of the Steve Jobs Theatre at some point. Speaking just of the in-person event really quick, mm-hmm. I realize that we really don't know anything. We don't really know that they're going to replicate what they did last they year. They have said videos. I mean, that's... Yeah, well, yeah, we know videos, yeah. but in terms of the in-person, like, watching experience, we don't know that they're just going to cram everybody onto the grass and into Cafe Max again. That's presumably what they will do, but we could get there and it could be totally different. They could have it in Steve Jobs Theater and have screens in the atrium or, I don't know, but... I think, I think, a, the, I think there's a non-zero chance that press are in the theater and that the thousand developers that get invited are, stuffed, are stuck out on the grass. Yeah, I mean, it was crammed last year just with how many people were there on the grass and into the into Cafe Max. But like, if every like if they have the same number of invitees as last year in total, you can't fit everyone inside of the Steve Jobs Theater. You just can't no, do it. no, no. But I do think Steve might... Jobs Theater is a very impressive building and it's a very impressive stage. And why would they not use it? You know what I mean? So like Selfishly I'll be very sad if I just sit in the Steve Jobs Theater and watch watch the keynote. Yeah. But Especially you'd rather be you'd developers. rather be in Steve Jobs Theater than on the grass though, right? <laughs> Depends on where everybody else is. I mean Especially if like Tim Cook and Craig Federighi come out to do their little intro again and they do it in the grass because that's where developers are. Like and we just see it on a screen. I, I was know. thinking more the we'll opposite. See. I was thinking, screw the developers. They're going to come out to the stage of the yeah. press. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I would like to see the numbers, too, on just how many people were invited this year versus last mm-hmm. year. Because obviously we were invited this year and we weren't last year. So either we're an addition or we took somebody's spot. Exactly. So. exactly. And they invited all those, uh, like, upload VR, like the yep. AR VR dedicated websites. And last so that's year they were only people. announcing... You know, obviously they had the, the MacBook Air, but like they weren't announcing yeah. a new platform. You know, like <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, so there's plenty of motivation for it to be done differently. Yeah, I think your idea of splitting it between developers and press is probably probably makes the most sense because you could even we'll have see. it that like straight after the press to have the Steve Jobs Theater experience, they can like get some very brief hands-on time for whatever that is. You know, even just like yeah, that's true. The thing, like obviously they last year they did it in the atrium thing, but a, a, a headsets. Like, way more people care, right? Like, last year, the MacBook Air was there, you know, whatever, blah, 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 blah. This year, the headset is, like, the debut focus. So, like, they need a lot more support staff around it, you know, like, one per customer. Mm-hmm. It's a whole new... Pla- like, a laptop's a laptop, right? Like, the headset, they need, like, 
dedicated people like explaining what it's doing, doing a demo, showing you it in your hand. Like, like if that's what they're going to do, they need a lot of stuff. And so being able to roll that out inside of the Seafield Theatre while all the developers go and get lunch, it might be a, a way around it, you know? I was watching some like vlog style videos from people who were there last year, specifically people in the press. And I didn't realize how separated the developers and the press was. Because at least the videos I watched, the press was like ushered off into a separate area. They went up to like the mezzanine above mm-hmm. the grass and had breakfast. And then the Apple PR, the herders came and took everybody to their seats. And that's when they could mingle a little bit with developers. But then right after the keynote, they were quickly ushered out into the Steve Jobs Theater. So, And something else, too. I mean, last year, COVID was still a concern, clearly, in Apple's plans. Yep. They were requiring COVID tests and the risk of COVID is lower outdoors. So maybe they just weren't comfortable putting press in Steve Jobs Theater and they will be this year. I don't know. Either way, I'll report back. So we'll see. I'm really excited. We will be back next week with a full breakdown of all the announcements from WWDC. Thank you very much, Chance. And stay tuned to Night Daily for even more Apple event coverage. Yes.